So you're saying, Yo, sir, dude, I just got paid and I want to get laid. Might your humble narrator suggest a live Smodco show? See Smod.com list all the upcoming performances with links to tickets. As for getting laid, that's all on you, amigo. We just make you laugh till you shit your pants. The Smonsters of Talk could be coming to your town. Go to csmod.com and find out. Smodco's been blasting its own brand of fuck yeah for years in all forms of media. If you're saying, hold up, sir, dude, what about video games? We got that market covered, too. Visit Smarcade.com to learn about two, count them, two games for your iOS and Android device. Jay and Silent Bob grace your mobile with Too Fat to Fly and Let Us Dance. Get your game on, Smod Goblins. Check out Smarcade.com. Smodco Internet Radio broadcasts the free funny, but you can broadcast your Smodco love with merchandise. Shirts, posters, comics, memorabilia, and more. JayandSilentBob.com is your hub for comic book men, secret stash, and Kevin Smith's cinematic catalog. It's an online one-stop shop that fulfills your need, minus the weed. JayandSilentBob.com. Book market, baby. Hey, this is Jack Morrissey. Welcome back to Team Jack after a, like, two or th- two-week absence, Matt Cohen says. We only missed one episode. Uh, what is missing an episode, anyway? Just not doing one that week. Um, no, we did one. We just decided not to put it up. It was too good. Yeah, right. The lost episode. Uh, here we are with returning guest Alonzo Duralde from the episode... Entitled Cheesy Tater Tots, he reminds me. Back with his partner in crime and partner in, partner in stuff. All the other, other stuffs. All partner the other in various hyphenates, yes. All the other stuff. Dave White, who always goes by Dave White for some reason. That was explained to me once. I think multiple Daves. We know a lot of Daves, yeah. So right. it's just, and and people, Dave White just rolls off the tongue. People just and, do that to me. Right. They don't, you know. You don't ask for it. No, they just say Dave White. You would prefer to go by David. <laughs> um, my my mommy used to call me David. David. And, and uh, old school friends sometimes do. When they find me on Facebook, they're like, David, how are you? I was like, no one's called Not me David that anymore. since I was 14 years exactly. old. I don't know where Blow you are. Blow the dust but, off that. Yeah. Um, these two guys, amongst many, many other things, uh, do their own podcast, which I hope to eventually guest on as well we hope that too quid pro quo clarice um <laughs> which is called linoleum knife you've got a few more hurdles to jump through <laughs> do i he's fast the written now there's swimsuit I yeah, yeah. <laughs> um how do you how do we find your podcast 
Uh, it, you can subscribe on iTunes, uh, Linoleum Knife. Uh, it's also okay. streaming on Stitcher and I believe also at thelounge.com. And then, uh, our website, we, we don't have our website website happening yet. We're, you know, it's only been two years. It's, you know, it's what's, fixing to happen. What's though. the rush? Uh, we will soon, but <laughs> summertime, it's coming up. Yes. But yeah. in, the, in the meantime, <laughs> you can go to linoleumknife, one word, dot libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com and find our uh, full array of episodes. It's easier just to go to the Facebook page. And- or go to iTunes and search Linoleum. I'm glad you had all those answers. I actually don't know how to find us. Or we're at Linoleum Cast at Twitter. Linoleum Cast? Mm-hmm. Okay. And how'd you guys get started with None that? None of this is complicated at all. No, it's the same, it's as, ridiculous. same as for everybody. <laughs> how'd you guys get started with he, that? He begged me to do a podcast <laughs> for like a year. I didn't uh-huh. want to do one. Um, because I'm lazy and <laughs> felt as though I were too busy. Uh, and I still think I am too busy. And I know that I am still too lazy, but th- there were <laughs> a couple of instances. I don't remember now what you were on, some TV I, show yeah, or whatever. There, there were a couple of things I was involved um, with. I was doing the, I was doing the Rotten Tomatoes show on Current. Right. And then it got canceled. Right. And then I was doing this thing on IFC that lasted for two seconds called The Grid, and it got canceled. And I just thought, you know, I... The unfortunately named yeah, The Grid. The Grid, I know, which I kept telling them, you know, that was the old name of AIDS, right? And they were like, oh, really? Oh, is that true? Yeah, yeah it was back it, in the... The original, like, New York Times articles. knew what hit them. The gay cancer? Yeah, they called, they called it, it they called gay-related gay yeah. immune disorder. Wow. So, you know, I was like, really? The Grid? That's what we're going to call this. But it's okay. also just a terrible Sandy Bullock movie, isn't it? That's the net. That's the net. Oh, okay. There is a grid, and isn't there? What makes you call that movie terrible? <laughs> For Dave, there are no terrible Santa movies, except maybe all about Steve. Right. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I just I wanted a thing that that I owned that nobody could, you know... Pull the plug on. Pull the plug on. Yeah, he would know? come yeah. home dejected after these things would get canceled or right. whatever, and then uh, he'd say, I just want something to do that isn't uh, going to be taken away right. from me. Because somebody decided that, you know, there weren't enough viewers happening. And eventually I came around to the idea that, well, it does, it is weird. You know, we are a weird thing because we're a couple and we're, we also do the same thing for a living. Kind of, you know, yeah. We're both writers and we both write about film primarily. Right. And so it just... I thought, well, this is a, a straight. We we've got a gimmick, you right. know. We're we're a the only married news team in <laughs> Boise, you know, or whatever the Tim and Eric right, right. Thing is. Um, and, and we disagree. Interestingly, I like to think so. And your outlets are respectively. He is at therap.com. right? And I'm at movies.com. But in addition, it's is also, that is that all it's down to these days? Because usually uh, you guys wear like twenty seven hats. Well, don't you? I do. I do a weekly YouTube show that's part of the Young Turks Network called What the Flick. Okay, and it's me and Christy Lemire from Associated Press. AP, yeah, and uh, and Ben Mankiewicz of Turner Classic Movies and right. Matt Achety from Rotten Tomatoes with right. occasional circulating guests. Uh, and I also do a DVD column once a month for Movies dot com. Right, um, and then Dave sometimes does a. Uh, KCRW oh, show gonna, the, the LA talk for NPR. You're going to tell them all about oh, me. No, you do it. I don't get to say my own shit. Do you know, am I not supposed to swear on this? Is this a uh, is no? This tear it up. Non swear. Tear okay. it up. This uh, is the Kevin Smith. We're record. a clean podcast, which is why I always linoleum knife is. Yes, yeah, we, yeah. we do not work the blue material on our own show. No, <laughs> more no. as a test to see if we could do it. You know, yeah. in real life, I swear all the time every day about. <laughs> 
everything. everything. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm uh, KCRW, the the national public radio station here in Los Angeles, right? Eighty nine point seven. I am an, an occasional contributor to a 89.9. storytelling show. Eighty nine point three. One of those eighty nines. No, 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 no. KCRW. KCRW, KCRW son. Is 89.9. They are two different stations, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are two NPR stations? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. How many PBS stations there are broadcasting within sort of the Southern California range? Yeah. One is based at Santa Monica College, and the other one's based at Pasadena City College. I think I've both interchangeably, but I should do. KPCC is the one that's got news going on almost all day. KCRW That's what Tom Ford is often is the one that plays to, right? uh, music He's a KCRW in the morning. Listener, I believe. They do yeah. the morning, you know, the morning becomes eclectic and that kind of thing. Right. Okay. So KCRW has a show called Unfictional. Unfictional. A, Unfictional. And it's a this American lifey kind of storytelling show. Okay. And I've been on it, I don't know, half a dozen times. Okay. Um, Talking movies? No. No. These are all first person stories about stuff. Pumpkin pancakes. So like yeah. Um, so like there was one uh, that I did about visiting my childhood home. Okay. Uh, when I was a little kid, we lived in New Hampshire, and, right. and I dragged him to my childhood home two summers ago, and I knocked on the front door, not knowing if anyone who was going to answer. Wow. And so that became a story. Uh, wow. Um, Which I did- imagine you could find online. Yes. Still. Yes, kcrw.org, go to Unfictional. Uh, there's a whole bunch. Of, all the episodes are archived. Search your name. Yeah, I, I guess. Probably. I, I, I don't know where so. you yeah. I don't know I, how If you, you put Dave White like, Unfictional into Google, I'm sure something. Comes something will right. come up, yeah. Um, so I do that. Uh, up until it recently sort of keeled over, I wrote for a uh, literary magazine here in town called Slake. Okay. Which is all Los Angeles writers writing about Los Angeles. Interesting. Um, I did not know that. And so like there's this whole this is the whole other arm of my writing life. It's not movies at all. It's writing. Regular stuff. Yeah. Right. right. Um prose. I have a right. I have a ridiculous memoir that came out in two thousand six. Entitled called Exile in Guyville. Right. Uh which is about just moving here and being stupid. Tell them the subtitle. It's just, it's too dumb. It's catchy. No, it's just not. It's a, it was they <laughs> how, it was a, punk, just, how uh, a punk rock redneck uh, Texan faggot moved to West Hollywood and, but refused to become shiny or happy. Essentially, that's the subtitle. <laughs> and I didn't want there to be a subtitle. I could talk about all of this now because my publisher has basically gone belly up. Who and was about, your publisher? And about a print. Um, but the not uh, the dread Allison. Yeah. That's they, them. Ding, ding. Are they over now? Finally, ish. All right? but the shouting. Yeah, I, I got yeah. the rights back to my first book, "101 One Musty Movies for Gay Men." So I'm hoping to do some new and exciting things with that. And Dave right. is in the process of getting the rights back for "Exile in Guyville," right. so that we can finally have the long-awaited audio book that uh, right. people have been clamoring for. Right. I've never been into the subtitle of the book, and here's why: they forced it on me, uh, knowing I said I just didn't. I didn't want a subtitle. Right. The the, pub, the publisher at the time said, no one will know what your book is about just from the title. And I said, well, the right people will know what it's about. And who cares? <laughs> Can't the said, same be said of every said, almost not every enough. book yeah. title? Not not the book title, yeah, Alonzo, just not, reference, yeah, but enough. yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I was, I, I was driving on the freeway when she called me and asked me this. And I threw out this overly long, ridiculous, offensive right. subtitle. <laughs> Hoping to dissuade her. Yeah. 
Who puts the word faggot on the cover of a book other than Larry Kramer <laughs> being in published by Gay Press and gets away with it? Oh, they're like, oh, that sounds delightful. And so it went on the cover. And wow. um, I used to get emails when it first came out. I used to get emails from kids who worked at bookstores who would say, I intentionally put your book on the end cap just to bother people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it worked because apparently it would sell that way. People would pick it up and be like, What's right. this with the bad words on the co- Yeah, and then wow. and you've got a second book coming out this year. I have a new book coming out this year. It's called Keep It Heavy Man, and it hasn't come out yet. It's later in the year. So we don't we're not discussing the content of said book? It's a, a collection of uh stories, essays, whatever. Okay. Uh, some of them previously published in other places, some of them uh have been the stories on KCRW, uh, the other half new for the book. Right, got it. Yeah, well, that's cool. So that's yeah, it's going to be an ebook, and then who's the publisher? Uh, print run. It's a it's a uh, tiny publisher in San Francisco that right. has that is still figuring out what their name is going to be. <laughs> oh wow, that's okay. how that's how new this all is. Yeah, you're having a better experience with them so far than them with yeah, because I know them <laughs> aforementioned publishers. <laughs> because right. I know this, it's, it's a one man operation. I know this. Oh, okay, guy. so it's yeah, everything's perfect. Right, yeah. awesome. And Alonso, you have. How many other books in print? I have, well, 101 is, is hopefully going to be back in print soon. The, the only other one I have in print is uh, uh, Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas, which is right. my, my holiday film guide. Right. Which we sort of talked about you coming on to talk about closer to the holidays. I and would love to do that. Someday. I fled to London. No worries. And that ended up not happening. You had a lot on your plate this year. At that point. Um, what other positions have you both held in and around movies? Festivals, etc. I worked at a movie theater in 1984, uh, and we Which showed theater? Purple Rain and Breakin and Rhinestone. Which theater? <laughs> no, that's my other job <laughs> in the movies. <laughs> I was 19. It was the Prestonwood, uh, the General Cinema Prestonwood Four in Sackowitz Village Shopping Center in North Dallas. In 1984, you said? We were right next to this amazing Italian gelato place. And right. the kids, the guy who owned it had these punk rock skate kids who would come over and beg to get into the movies for free. And we would let them into R-rated movies because they were like 12. Okay. Um, <laughs> but we would say, get us gelato. Right. And we'll let you into the movie, right. whatever you want to see. So they would bring us all the gelato. And then we would let the 12-year-old kids go see already movies. <laughs> so it worked out really well for everybody. Oddly enough, I also worked in a movie theater the summer As of 1984 uh, between uh, high school and college. Not me. Go. Uh, I, the the uh, National Six in College Park, Georgia. Owned by? Um, Story, S-T-O-R-E-Y. I don't even know if they're still a company, but that was yeah, I wonder the who they the sold to. Uh, yeah, heaven knows. Um, but yeah, big was, you know, for the, for the my South unfashionable side of Atlanta that I grew up on. It was like, it was a pretty big theater. Right. We, that was also the, for us, the, the break in Beat Street summer. But you guys had Beat Street though. We had both. Oh, you had both. We had both simultaneously. Right. It was a thing. Yeah. We just had break in. And, uh, and then, you know, that, that was, but that was a great, that was like the Ghostbusters summer and how many Gremlins screens? Six. Dave. Four. Four screens. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at the sixplex. Yeah, that was a good summer. Every summer during that period was a good summer, so far as I'm concerned, although Bill Condon is often quick to... The 80s were horrible. That's his take on the whole decade, basically. 
I think the the early Brian De Palma stuff, notwithstanding, which he was sort of obsessed with, but otherwise he doesn't have he doesn't have too much use for the eighties. Well, yeah, yeah. Because my entire life I've had a memory of seeing Ghostbusters in theaters, but I was born in October of '84, which <laughs> which means it was Ghostbusters too. Probably so. Right. Yeah, there were no Bobby Brown songs. Yeah, never in the mind then. Right. Um, it's it's the funny. Titanic in that movie. <laughs> it was too. The uh, in, in you know I remember Premier Magazine did that survey at the end, in like 1989 or 90 where they asked critics to choose the best movie of the 80s, and the winner was Raging Bull, which came out in As '80. Usual. <laughs> That was the period where everybody thought Martin Scorsese was the greatest living American director who ever did live and was still living, and that Raging Bull was the greatest movie ever made. It seemed like every, not just premiere, but remember American Film Magazine, oh, yeah. they were all backing, backing up that idea that it was Raging, Raging Bull and Scorsese. And now nobody even makes those pronouncements except for Empire Magazine, who seems to... Do that issue once a year, and it's always Shawshank Redemption. Oh, God. <laughs> what did Scorsese even do for the rest of the 80s? I mean, surely, like, that was the 70s. It was the 70s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck, because I have a memory of seeing that movie in the theater. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I have it kind of an interesting, I mean, it's a total nerd-out story, but... Uh, they were doing Why this series at the Skirball Center for a while. I don't know if they're still doing it, where filmmakers would screen uh, movies that influenced them, okay, and then talk about them. Like I did, I, I did a thing with like Clive. I did the Q and A. Clive Barker showed uh, Cronenberg's The Brood, okay, um, and different ones like that. Uh, Amy Heckerling did it once, and she picked Mean Streets. And at first, I thought that what? Yeah. But then I watched Mean Streets again, thinking about her, and I realized that Mean Streets and Fast Times at Ridgemont High are kind of the same movie in a lot of ways. Really? There's not a lot of plot. It's really about young people and the places they gather and the rituals that they sort of perform huh. and figuring out sexuality and figuring out adult responsibility. Huh. That, yeah, that would be a really cool double feature that nobody ever does. Interesting. And Dave then nobody White? would sit through both films. Probably not. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a Venn diagram that doesn't overlap a lot right. as far as audience goes, I think. Yeah. Um. You worked for the. You've worked for Sundance, right? Uh, I'm a pre-screener for them. Okay. So for the last three years, I have uh, basically what happens is you know festivals get sent thousands and thousands the of slush entries. pile. Yeah, and and so the pre-screeners are sort of the first wave of defense, you know. Right. And you kind of cull through the the hills of gravel in the hopes of finding like a nugget of zinc. Right. Um, <laughs> but this this year actually uh, two movies that I saw in pre-screening wound up getting programmed. So what were which they? Is like the winning the lottery. Uh, one of them they were both documentaries. One was um, uh, which way to the to the uh, to the front from here, which is a documentary about Tim Hetherington, the guy who did Restrepo, who died. Which I was like, why is this even going to pre-screeners? Like, this is such a, this is a gimme. Like, of course you're going right. to show this. Right. But the other one was this little movie, like, people you never heard of, uh, came out of nowhere, called Blood Brother, about this guy who um, uh, had was, like, sort of traveling, like, kind of backpacking the world and wound up staying in India to uh, live in this, like, orphanage for kids with HIV. And it sounds yeah, super heard of it. goopy, inspirational, but it's really just sharp and, and right. fascinating. Huh. Um, you worked for USA Film Festival. Yep. Yeah, I, which, I, I was. Which became Sundance. No, Am I wrong about that. No, no. <laughs> the interesting story here. Actually, the USA Film Festival in Dallas started in 1971. 
Okay. Uh, and is still there. I just came back from their 43rd anniversary screening uh, okay. festival. Uh, the, when, when Redford started Sundance, they originally called it the United States Film Festival. Okay. And then it would occasionally get abbreviated to the U.S. Film Festival. So the USA Film Festival actually had to threaten to sue them. And wow, that's okay. when it became Sundance. That's interesting. Yeah. So USA oh. is still USA. Okay. Um, Dave White is making funny faces. Because <laughs> that story is so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. It is to me. Um, I actually, I met Mr. Redford and we, we, that came up in conversation. It did? Yeah. My old festival he, sued you. He was, I just, I said, yeah, I used to work for USA in Dallas. Like, you know, there was that, yeah. there was that misunderstanding and he was yeah. like, oh, you jerks. He was very chill about it. When was this? Uh, a couple of years ago, I got asked to, um, you know, sometimes a publicist will call me like during award season and be like, hey, we're doing a screening for like sure. guild members or blah, blah, blah. Will you moderate a Q&A? Sure. So they were doing one for um, Motorcycle Diaries. Okay. And it was the Q&A afterwards with uh, the director and with... Walter Salas. Walter Salas, yes. Right. And with Gal Garcia Bernal and with uh, Gustavo Santoyaja, who did the score. Okay. And uh, and then Redford came to introduce it. And at first, like they'd asked me to introduce it. Did Redford yeah, produce that? He did. Or EP it? Uh, executive EPS, producer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, and he shows up and be like i don't think you really need to introduce him. i was like i don't think so either but you know we got the, i got to chat with him for like 10 minutes in the lobby of the grove super nice guy huh. um you know talked festivals and talked about i'm a big george roy hill fan okay the guy who directed the sting and uh sure great waldo pepper i think one of the great sort of underrated american filmmakers partially because i think in the period when he could have been like working the festival circuit and getting acclaim for the stuff he had done, uh, he was suffering from Parkinson's, so he didn't ever leave the house. Wow. Um, so I think he's, he's one of those directors who's really in need of a kind of a reevaluation and a, you know, kind of a curatorial look at his career. Because there's a guy who made, you know, Slaughterhouse-Five and Thoroughly Modern Millie and A Little Romance and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Like huh. Howard Hawks level, That's like eclectic yeah. journeyman yeah. Know, director. Um but anyway, so yeah, got got to hang out with Redford once. He was he was swell. And as you're standing there in the lobby of the Grove, yeah, here in Los Angeles, is he? Are people like coming up to him or what? Here, people were were kind of looking but keeping a safe distance. Here's the weird thing: we go in, he introduces the screening, the lights go down, the movie starts. He's kind of standing off to the side, just sort of wanting to see how the film looks on the screen. Right. People were getting out of their chairs and walking over to him in the dark to like come talk to him, and he was like, um, the the movie's on. And wow. I thought people in Dallas were like gross and inappropriate when it came to celebrities, but no, it's even in wow. Los Angeles, you go. even in the film capital of, of the Western world. Wow. Yeah, no one knows how to act. Um, wants to reach out and touch it. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's still here. <laughs> um, the fertility idol, the blonde, the blonde hair. Uh, well, so let him anybody anywhere you go, you see him. And someone is bothering. You see a celebrity out in public, someone is going up to them to bother them. Like that policeman with poor Reese Witherspoon this week. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who Bless. I am? Bless. <laughs> Bless. Somewhere Ryan Phillippe is having such a field day. Um, so last night, uh, some shit went down on internets at around 10, 1030. <laughs> I saw it on my Twitter with Drew McQueenie. <laughs> Screaming about broken embargo at midnight. Well, you know, here's the thing. That was the Hollywood Reporter went for last night was the the embargo for Great Gatsby was officially lifted at midnight Pacific time. You know, Monday morning. Right. And so I had. You I want to explain to our listeners who are 
I mean, there's a big chunk of them who are probably who are definitely twihards, and there's a big chunk of them who are movie nerds and stuff like that. But just explain behind the curtain how it works. You go to a press screening of a movie, right? Sometimes weeks in advance, sometimes days in advance, sometimes one day in advance. Sometimes (laughs) Sometimes you pay to see it on opening weekend when there are no screenings for critics, Um, and then they tell you through one of the studio publicists, the sort of low-level publicists, Foot Soldiers just tells you we're holding your review or all the reviews are yeah. being held and then it turns well, into a delicate dance yeah, as to... Yeah, they're, they're telling you this is the official embargo. And, and what generally happens is embargoes, embargoes exist until Variety and The Hollywood Reporter decide they the don't. The two so-called trade newspapers. Right. So pretty much business. once they go, uh, because history has shown that they never, ever, ever get punished for, for violating an embargo. Right. The, I mean, the, the, the thing... And they about, never, ever honor an embargo once exactly. they've seen it. Because really, the only thing <laughs> the that's, countdown hold, clock that's, hold, is running. that's holding up an embargo is the thought that, well, if you violate our embargo, we're not going to let you see the next one yeah, we're not, early, you know, or yeah, something like or that. Or give you access to talent for interviews or whatever else the studio exactly. can do Any kind of whatever punishment to punish you and your outlet. There is no punishment. Yeah, but yeah, the, the, the Variety and the Hollywood Reporter do. do not care. No. I mean, the, the rap where I write is considered, you know, at least we consider ourselves one of the trades. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, you sure. might get different answers. But, um, you know, so so we were all told, you know, embargo is until until midnight Sunday, you know, or, or 12.01 a.m. Monday morning, I guess. Monday, May 6th. Monday, May 6th. The day on which we're recording this podcast. Correct. That's when you can, you know, run your reviews of The Great Gatsby. So I... Uh, you know, I had everything ready to go. I, I, right. had, I, you know, put my review into the content manager system. I had the photos. I right. told my editors, "Here's the deal: embargo. If you guys want to run it like at twelve oh one, great. If you want to run, wait till right. morning, fine. Whatever." Now, the thing about Gatsby, just to provide some context, is it's it's a movie. Here we are rolling into the summer movie season. Iron Man three is just opened here in North America over the weekend, and and everybody is starting. What's that, Matt Cohen? Second biggest opening of all time. After Marvel's The Avengers. <laughs> but people are, are like over the last two weeks starting to murmur, um, well, dude, has anybody seen Gatsby? And does anybody <laughs> know anything about it? And I had dinner actually with a, a VP at a specialty exhibitor. Mm-hmm. You may, you almost certainly know him. I'm not going to say his name on uh, on air here, but I had dinner with him like a, a week or two ago, and he had only just been to exhibitor screenings for both Gatsby and Star Trek Into Darkness, mm-hmm. so, which is talk about dinner. I mean, that's that's <laughs> what I'm cutting into at that point. Is this is like the first guy, the the people who book the book the movies into theaters, the theaters where they sell the popcorn, are often the first to see the so-called product right. because they've got to figure out what the arrangements are going to be with the studios, how many screens, what quality screens, etc. And then come critics or long lead press often next. Sure. Like yeah, but the, the people who are doing like the magazine cover story, right. interviews, so-called right. long lead we'll, press. We'll get to see, or, and sometimes not even the whole film. Like they might see sort of like a rough right. cut or a few scenes featuring As they're that being person, pitched cover you know, stories or right. features. Yeah. Because more and more films are being 
so down to the wire as far as when they're actually being finished. Right. And so, yeah, this film has obviously been a lot of speculation, a lot of interest. It's about to open the Cannes Film Festival. Right. So, has yeah, not opened overseas first. Exactly. So there are no international reviews that anybody can look to. Right. right. Yeah, because like, like the Star Trek reviews have already run because because they were it opened in England or they screened it in England. Or yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm not clear um, why that happened. The Guardian. So so Sunday night rolls around and uh, you know everybody's waiting for midnight and then suddenly at about was it 10:30? Uh, As somebody is sitting there, yeah. literally pushing <laughs> refresh. refresh, refresh, refresh <laughs> on the trades. Hollywood Reporter decides, eh, let's go. Why not? So, bam, they go. And right. so then a, a few minutes later, Variety. That's Todd McCarthy, I presume. Uh, Todd McCarthy at The Reporter, yes. Yes. And then Scott found us at Variety. Okay. And then my folks at The Rap are paying attention to all this, so then, bam, I go next. Right. Uh, now, know. Dave White claims not to know the, ten- the tone and tenor of those reviews. Can I ruin your your uh, bubble that you're operating in by asking Alonzo no, no, here? I know, I know what his... Uh, but you don't know what the trades because did. Because when we write, we both work at home. Right. Two different rooms. Right. But when we finish something, we read it out loud to the other one as right. a just a for editing first year yeah right um, and so i know exactly what his review says and he um, knows exactly what your review says no because i haven't written it yet oh, okay I've, okay I, I sat down to to transcribe my notes today but that's all i've done but you don't know what found us in mccarthy no published so to speak no. last night no you know because yes. i presume you've read it i did is it gonna fuck you up to no no, no i don't care so how did those guys go? So McCarthy raved, loved okay. it, loved it, loved it, thought okay. it was really effective, thought all the sort of, you know, aesthetic gambits that Lurman takes really worked and they were effective okay. and like the performances, like the look of the film, thought all the choices were good ones, you know, a, an unqualified like thumbs up. Right. Found us uh, less enthusiastic, basically saying that... The, a pan the, or mixed to negative? I, or mixed? More mixed to negative, I guess. Okay. Um, pretty much it doesn't work, but also kind of saying that this is a novel that sort of resists adaptation. It has right. before, and it still is. As and, Robert Town famously said, I was reading on Twitter last night, that the novel itself is a mirage. Huh. Don't go there. As he As he was turning down the job <laughs> to write the script for the Robert Redford... Right. And That's some and pretty version in the seventies, and, yeah. and you know, you know who wrote that one? Who ended up writing that yeah. script? I do not. Mr. Coppola, Francis Coppola, yes, did that adaptation. Yeah, in nineteen seventy four, wow. when he had his hands full with you know a couple of Godfathers in the conversation, he also somehow he just managed banged to out a, an adaptation of yeah. Great Gatsby. Okay, and so your review, which I read on, I did read last night from Twitter. Mm. I won't. I'll let you characterize. Uh, I would say pretty firmly negative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not a hater of Baz Luhrmann. Like right. I'm, I'm even. I think probably one of the few defenders of Australia. Wow. Um, you know, a movie that I think has at least a sort of. Let's hear it for contrarians. Well, yeah, I, I'm trying. I'm not trying to be Armand White here, but you know, I just I, I call him as I see him. Uh, I, I feel like Australia has enough of a kind of hokey old Hollywood sure. charm to it that it works. I mean, yeah, it's three movies glued together. The, right. the the shift in tone from the first part to the middle to the last part is is the cattle drive crazy. Yeah, it's like yeah, first is the cattle drive, and then there's the war, and then there's the reuniting, and it's just like yeah. But I, I you know, I, it still worked for me. I I, I enjoyed it, but. Boy, this one just sucks the life out of that story. Wow, you know, and it's 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 so reminding you of how 
extravagant and you know over the top it How is. How roaring those twenties really yeah, were. Yeah, so much roaring. You know, right. um, it goes one louder. Yeah, roaring. it roars at eleven. Yeah. You know? Wow. Uh, and so it, 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 the thing is, like, uh, say what you will about Lorman movies, I've never found them boring. No. And this one, by the time Tom Buchanan talks to Myrtle's husband to set the final, you know, events into into action, I thought. Oh God, we've still got all that to go through. Like, when is this going to be over? Right. <laughs> what's the run? What's two, the RT? Two forty. Two no two, two no two twenty. Two twenty one. That's true. Right. Sorry. Yes. But that but that two twenty one figure does or does not include uh, end titles. It includes it, uh, all okay. told. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's two hours and twenty minutes long. Wow. I know Cohen's grimacing over here. <laughs> Which is, I mean, here's the thing, and I like, and I am a, I'm not an unabashed Baz Luhrmann fan, but I, I like really, really like Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet. Right. Um, even I even like Australia. As a kid who was like indoctrinated with that book at, at an age when I didn't want to read it, and growing up on Long Island and all of that shit, you, I, there's no, you just made it so I'm never going to see that fucking movie. <laughs> You just saved me two and a half hours because oh. if you say it's boring, I have no interest, man. And that's not a judgment on anyone's taste. It's just saying, like, with all the 3D spectacle and all that shit, if it's still not able to hold anything. I can't even think of a moment where the 3D really stands out in any It's way. so weird that that book got adapted into a 3D movie. Well, I think that's that's part of the idea. The idea of, like, you know, it's it's not like he's making a 3D Godzilla. It's that he's making, you know, this in a 3D. And, and, and I kind of feel like, all right, you know, Australia was kind of a bomb. I mean, it did. I think it made a lot of money in Australia, but here it did not do so hot. <laughs> a lot of money in Australia doesn't add up. There's five. No, no. Well, I thought I read somewhere that it, that it was actually his. I thought it said it was the highest grossing film today, but maybe I misread that. Um, in any event, I know it was considered a disappointment, you know, particularly here. And so I, I, my mom really loved it. She did. I remember. <laughs> but my my thing with it is, I'm thinking, was he then sort of chastened and like, okay, well then I got to go back and do the thing they want, which is I take a beloved literary property and you know poop glitter all over it. Well, one thing that happened after Australia was uh, the the Murdoch family said goodbye to him. Ah well, and sent him packing yeah, over to, to Burbank, where Warner Brothers said yeah. hello to him. Mm. Um, remember that he was man was it? I think it was before Australia. So it's Romeo and Juliet. So it's strictly ballroom, which to my mind is still the the great movie. Yeah, Un- unimpeachably great movie. Also the cheapest, <laughs> exponentially. Yes. Right. Then he does Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. um, which has a lot of stuff that works in my works beautifully, in, in my opinion, and sure. a lot of stuff that I was less than enthusiastic about. It was a mixed bag. Yeah. But the stuff that's good, the stuff with DiCaprio and Claire Danes seeing each other and the chemistry between the two of them um, was all the wind doves cry moments. I rewatched it recently on the Blu-ray release, and it might also be the most stuck in time early 90s movie that I've like I love the fact that it uh. is you know what I mean well there she is my so called life everything about it right. the music the clothing like it's just it's so from the three months in which they made that film nothing ever looked like that again <laughs> you know what I mean stuck in amber well it, it's funny especially when you see like a period period film yes. you know yeah. it's like the difference between a 1970s 20s movie and a 1950s right. 20s movie right yeah so I, I could see where it would still be firmly 90s I haven't seen it in a while but and that was, I think, sort of 
I mean, Strictly Ballroom was was just distributed here stateside by Miramax and did well as a specialized Foreign release. Art stuff. House, yeah, yeah. Um, Romeo and Juliet is the first movie that Fox pays for, and um, that has has the sense of success to it mm-hmm. on every level. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, the yeah. teens the teens were crazy about it. I don't know. Did it have a massive gross? Who knows? It, it didn't really cost a fortune, probably. So the perception around it is success. Then comes Moulin Rouge, mm-hmm. which is also made at Fox, costs a lot of money. Right. Like, he shot for a year on that movie and did not work here domestically. Uh, I think they released it twice. They re-released it, still didn't work. It was one of those movies. I think did better overseas, but I'm not sure ultimately what the total sort of profit loss was on that, again, because it was so fucking expensive. Right. But big Oscar nominee. Correct. Certainly probably made musicals uh, seem like they were a, a, a safer bet. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's pre-Chicago. Yeah. Um, then comes Australia, also made at Fox, which Rupert Murdoch must have just thought was a delight, delightful sounding project because he's basically going to do Gone with the Wind right. for right. the fucking country. Yes. Right. Cost, cost, you know, starring Mr. Australia, Hugh Jackman, and, and Ms. Ms. Australia. Australia. <laughs> or maybe we should... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> um, in my and, mind, Kylie Minogue is Ms. Australia. Okay. <laughs> she turns up in Moulin Rouge, so you got the um, She is in Moulin Rouge. And that cost a fuck ton right. and was a big fucking bomb. So now the News Corp must say goodbye. <laughs> he goes to Warner and he makes Gatsby. The thing that, at least one thing, at least one project that did not get made in there was remember, he was developing his own Alexander starring DiCaprio. That's right. Yeah. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The- I think before Australia. So it would have been post Moulin Rouge, pre Australia. Right, right, right. That, was, that was supposed to be his follow up to Moulin Rouge, and then he got trumped by Oliver Stone. Right. Which, you know, I it guess makes for- up for Oliver Stone getting trumped in doing the Harvey Milk movie. So, you know. I guess so, yeah. Although I don't really think of Oliver Stone as the last last man standing on Harvey on Mayor of Castro. Well, Street. he was at least going to executive produce it. I yeah, think, you know, and Van Sant was going to no, no, sorry, Brian Singer. Brian Singer was going to direct it. That's right for Van Craig Zayden and Neil yes. Marin. Yeah, right. uh, with potentially God, who was the Robin last? Robin Williams, right? Yeah, they were, t- and Hugh Jackman maybe, huh. and Kevin Spacey never. Not we'll just let that moment that of silence sit there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so the surprising thing that this exhibitor told me, uh, who hated Gatsby, mm. was that um, it's apparently tracking in all four quadrants for for a significant opening. No, that that's yeah. Everything I've read today suggests that it surprises me. Do you not go to movie theaters? No. <laughs> <laughs> that might explain it, though. Do you not watch television? I watch DVR. Every bus stop, every <laughs> bus, every billboard. Well, yeah. Sue Kroll, who's the head of marketing for Warner, has one thing that she does every single title. Outdoor, outdoor, outdoor. outdoor. Yeah. So here in Los Angeles, correct, Dave White, every bus side, every bus shelter, 
Every placement that Warner Brothers owns in Los Angeles County, sort of like rather. plastic faced looking. It's an awful campaign. It's crazy yeah. looking. All I know is that it's coming and that there's someone named Joel Edgerton in it, maybe? Lots, yes. yeah, but I don't know who trailer. he is or what he's playing. <laughs> I don't even remember what TV Great Gatsby's too, about. We were watching <laughs> That's, last night. I haven't yeah. seen a second of footage. I'm out of it, man. But the thing is, uh, you know. How old are you? No, really. No, I'm kidding, but <laughs> they better have a great weekend because they got Star Trek next week. Then it's over. Yeah, yeah. and then Hangover which this 3. exhibitor? <laughs> I mean, I I don't think this this exhibitor is in his fifties. I would say so. He has a foot in old Star Trek and appreciates what old Star Trek was when it worked, um, and thought that this was. It's sort of not dissimilar to how a lot of people are talking about Gatsby. What he said to me about Gatsby was, "Well, did you like Moulin Rouge?" Because this is 10 times Moulin Rouge, yeah. in his opinion. Star Trek Into Darkness, he thought the 2009 J.J. Abrams-directed Star Trek movie was better than this movie. But he said this movie is that movie, which is basically an Indiana Jones movie or a, on steroids. It's just wall-to-wall relentless action. I just realized, does it go Gadsby, Star Trek, Fast 6, all a week apart from yeah. each yeah, other? Yeah, Fast 6 Hangover 3 is the same week. That's insane. Yeah. How are, which of the, mm. okay, out of, you guys, I guess, out of those movies, which cross out of the pack? Out of like the most stocked month of movies in six months? Shh. Right. so fast. Crawls out of the pack and no one will be able to catch up to it. In terms of duration or just money? I mean. Like, which is the movie that really needs to get eaten up by the other films that come out the week after? I don't care. <laughs> yeah, thankfully that's not our job. Like I, I'm a terrible, could like, not give one guy. fuck about box office. Well, let's just let's just ask one other question. Have you seen any of these other movies yet? Not yet. Not yet. I'm, I'm yeah. hoping to see Star Trek tonight, but they're being cagey about it. Um, I'm hoping to see Star Trek Thursday night. Well, uh, I here's the thing: there they have, there are several Star Trek screenings coming up. Yeah. Some of them are. There at is one tonight. I real, can't. I was uh, invited to the one tonight. Oh, how nice for you! I was not. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really? trying to get into it. <laughs> some of them are being held at real IMAX theaters, and some of them are being held at Limax Fomax. theaters. Limax, yeah, yeah Limax, as my friend Dave Cobb calls them at the AMC. So I'm trying, yeah, and I can't go Thursday because that's the one screening of the the, the Francis Ha. So tonight okay. is my only chance to see it in honest to god IMAX. So that's why I'm right. trying to get in. Who who are you dealing with over there? I just give the initials. Uh, GS. That's not a good idea for you to be doing. <laughs> no, and and it, it, it's not that. It, apparently, apparently, it all I'm comes down with a different set of yeah, initials. I'm sure you are. You're way up the food chain than me. Uh, I'm not. I'm just. It, it all comes down to somebody who's on a plane. Apparently, that's why I can't get an answer on this. That's so, interesting. This is my life. That's trying to scrambling to get into this. I have not seen either Hangover and either of the two Hangovers. I never saw the original or the or the next one. You'll live. So, um, but I so I have no sense. I'm I didn't participate in that. But I can't say like, well, is that going to do better than Stid or you know Fast Six or whatnot? <laughs> Sorry, Stid. that took me a second. Okay, Stid. Stid. Um. 
Well, Fast I think six, Fast Six is going to be huge. Oh, no doubt, and, and clearly they don't care if it is or not because they've already got Fast Seven like set yeah. for next May. Yeah. So they're they're taking it as a foregone conclusion that this yeah. one's going to be um, big, big, big. Star Trek. I've I've heard from different sources came on tracking soft, and then I'm tracking which we've discussed in previous episodes, so I don't have to go into that boring boilerplate. <laughs> but um, then I heard uh, from someone else that it came on very strong. So I I don't have a sense that. Is it working for Star Trek or is it not working? I don't know. I know people. there are people on Twitter who I follow who are rooting, some who are rooting for it, and a lot of people who are really rooting for the failure of Star Trek. Why is that? Why would you root for that? Because they're Trekkers. And they, oh, they hate, like they the, hate the JJ iteration. What do they, they hate the it? conversion of Star Trek into Star Wars, basically, which is what he's done. Which is, to me, what makes his Star Wars... What will make his Star Wars interesting is like, well... How is your Star Wars going to be different from your Star Trek? Because we've already seen you do space opera. Are they opera. angry that there's not enough sitting around talking and being boring? Is that well? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Or everybody leaning to the left and then leaning. Yeah. <laughs> Throwing themselves across the set as the camera is <laughs> tilted. I, you know, look, I, I, I have no dog in this hunt. I was never a, a giant fan of the original Star Trek, but I'm not a hater either. Right. I really like the Abrams Star Trek. I, right. I thought it was a supremely satisfying summer movie in terms of being funny and exciting and, you know, right. a little sexy and all kinds of things. Like, can't the uh, Trekkers appreciate that? Like, I fucking hated Star Trek before the J.J. movie came out, and I liked it so much that I went back and got into the TOS, and I'm a Star Trek fan. Like, it's, it is the gate, it's the gateway movie, I feel like. And he could do that for Star Wars potentially too. I don't know who isn't into the Star Wars franchise, but my, my gateway movie that was actually the documentary Trekkies. Was it? Yeah, 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 it made me go back and watch like you know, uh, Roger Nygaard. Made me go back and watch some of the like the original. What's that? Stuff. What's that one guy's name? Oh, Gabriel. Gabriel Croner. There's uh, there's oh, a, right. Yeah. There's that one scene who actually wound up becoming like a CGI artist and working on some of the Trek stuff. I think, but he's got like one of the best moments in documentary history when the phone rings. And he goes, I'll get it. Hello, Steven? This is a horrible time to be calling. Goodbye. <laughs> and he just hangs up on his friend and gives his fucking smug look. And he's like, this is Cisco. I had to shave his face off with a razor blade. Like, <laughs> I love the two wow. Trekkies movies. And uh, I'll, I'll drop a little name on you. I, I, I just Have saw Denise Crosby at the USA Film Tasha Festival. Yar. She was on the short film jury. And uh, she feels very confident that Trekkies 3 um, could be a reality sooner rather than oh, later. That's good. Denise Crosby, also of Pet Cemetery fame. Yes, yes, and she is going to be on a new Showtime series this summer. Oh yeah, that is called. It's a guy's name, so I can never remember what it is. Like not Jack Reacher, but something like that. Like, right? You okay. Know, Bill okay. Jorgensen, whatever the show is called. Right. She's on it. It's going to be awesome. Well, that's good. Dave White. Yeah. Not a trekker. Couldn't give two fucks. I don't dislike it. Right. Um, Give them but your, I, I don't think that... What? Give them your stock answer. Pumpkin pancakes. What? What? Could be I, the title for this episode, I saw the, the one with the whales. I saw the one with the whales. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly the most accessible to um, civilians. No, here's... It's the equivalent of the Planet of the Apes where they travel back and like put on fancy clothes and are in New York. Like, I didn't know that... <laughs> I bought both of those. I bought both of those box sets, unknowing that those films in the franchise existed. And I like slogged through Search for Spock, and I was like, "Wait a minute! It's fucking like a fish out of water movie with Sulu pulling a sword on like a. It's it's the best thing ever. Those two are such refreshing, like 
respites in those franchises where you can just kind of chill out and laugh for a minute. I wish every movie did that. Same thing happened with He-Man. I bought that movie completely not knowing what it was like. Within five minutes, they're eating fried chicken. The Masters of the Universe live action. The live action. Frank Langella. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a comedy where like He-Man's on Earth and he doesn't know what soda is. Like, If every movie was that, I'd be happy. Nothing is worse for creative output than being bound by deranged fans to a really? source. <laughs> Jack would know nothing about perhaps that. You might know something about this. But I that's love me some deranged fans. <laughs> that is the truth. This this slavish devotion to the text canon that that yes. must we Not even use that word now. Deviated from <laughs> canon because angry because the internet children, will not like it. <laughs> angry children and low functioning adults on the internet <laughs> are going to be they're going to have a mads at you. <laughs> Fuck all of those people. But I honestly, as one yeah. as someone who used to be that person, I think it takes a watershed. Watchmen was my watershed moment where I was like, right. okay, that is the most perfect adaptation you could have possibly done of that book right. and it's a fucking unwatchably bad movie sure that that satiated every yeah. purest fan thing in my heart and yeah. i realized like oh that doesn't mean it's going to equal a good movie in fact sometimes it's the opposite i, I mean that it's gonna, it doesn't mean that a, a perfectly realized a perfectly realized interpretation of something that to you is beloved doesn't necessarily mean that you will have a perfectly enjoyable time. Right. Yeah, the Where's, new one is not going to be beloved of that. Exactly. Than reading the graphic novels. Right. Of course. And whereas X-Men First Class was completely not canon and one of the most enjoyable superhero movies I've seen in a while. So everything's fucking... You know, you like your book or your comic book so much, then stay home and fucking wank it with your book. Fap. Don't go to the movie. <laughs> the kids call it fapping, Dave. Don't go to the movie. Just right. let the movie be the movie. When I, every time it happens, and I never read the comments uh, under under my reviews. Uh, ever? Ever. I read every single comment. Unless. <laughs> and I'm then I to, like it. I'm trying to break myself I take, that, I'll, give you, I'll give you the exception. When a friend of mine or more than one friend of mine says, you really need to go look at the comments under this. <laughs> because they're batshit insane. Right. And you're going to laugh and laugh and laugh. Then right. I will go and look at it. I, but the thing about it is when I get a comment that says something like, well, you only disliked this because you're not a fan of blah, blah, blah. Well, it doesn't matter if I'm a fan of blah, blah, blah. I'm a fan of cinema, yeah. and I know about it, you have been, and I read books too. You have been sent <laughs> and, to see and review yes, this movie, so that's not to review the entire phenomenon of this yeah. you know, comic book or, or novel or whatever it is. You know, that, that's why I try not to read books that I know are going to be turned into films. Right. Because I want to be able to approach the film as a thing unto itself. For sure. You know, and, and, and to, to, to look at it independently. Yeah, no, I, I've been trying to break myself of the habit of reading the comments because it's, it's, it's never helpful. And I, I, friends did tell me, like, back in November or December or whenever, like, do not go back to your Les Miserables page on the wrap because it's getting vicious over there. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently so. I've still never been back, but apparently what just was your, awful. What was your take on that? I despised that movie. And the... What do we call them? Fans, apologists. What do, I mean, uh, the, there was a real circle of yeah. defense around that oh, movie. Yeah, which yeah, to yeah. Me they seemed... call them. They call themselves the Mizzies. Do they? No, yeah, I don't for know. Late <laughs> so they should. I just made that. Up. 
yeah, the 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 Vic Mizzies out there were uh, yeah. were not happy with me, <laughs> and uh, so you know whatever. And it's like, and the funny thing is, apparently some of them were like, there were like homophobic comments, and I'm like, wait, wow, you're nailing me for being a gay guy who doesn't like a musical. Wow. How does yeah. that work? Yeah. <laughs> I can't win. You confounded their expectations. Apparently, so I just didn't even read them. Wow. And you should die. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, I, one thing I've learned from from YouTube you comments, fat fag, you should die. Turns right. out I'm fat <laughs> and I'm a fag. So duly noted. Thanks, commenters. Um, Dave, what are you going to give us a little taste of your taste, your take on Gatsby, given that your review will be online simultaneously with this podcast? I really loved the part where Leo sings the thong song. <laughs> Does he? I wouldn't be surprised. You just but, asked me, yeah. does he? I w- it's Baz Lerman. I put the anything's I wrote that possible. That's the thing. People yeah. believe it. I actually I wrote that on Twitter today, and I got like seven people saying, "Does that does that really happen?" Yeah. Well, and, and then he said, "The whole cast movie on Friday." Then he said, "The whole cast rides on Tron cycles." <laughs> <laughs> I would be there like Thursday <laughs> Thursday midnight. <laughs> there is some light cycling. It's not Tron Going cycles. On. It's Mario Kart. Did you guys both see Oblivion? Yes. Yes. Uh. I liked Gatsby more than he did. I liked Oblivion more than he yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. I liked looking at Oblivion. Like that yeah. was one of the few movies that I say, look, if you're going to see it anyway, see it in IMAX. Yeah. For the to take all that in. But the rest of it just felt like I, I was. I, I started running a checklist in my mind of all the Such other movies it was borrowing stuff I from. Know. So and that, to me, that the scandalous works. story, which I didn't know going in, but found out on internets afterward, is that it isn't even based on a graphic novel. It's based on like a a pamphlet that they gave out at the company's booth at Comic Con a few years back. <laughs> oh my god! Like a, a like. So it's a storyboard, basically. <laughs> it's just not. It's like a, It's like eleven illustrations. It's, 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 wow. it's, it's based on a it's series. A it's based on concept art. Is a what series it's based of cocktail on. napkins by Joseph yeah. Kaczynski. There's just nothing. <laughs> Um, I'm more uh, interested in films that have really distinct uh, visual, you know, worlds. What are your? What are? And, and so when 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 uh, that'll get me over is what I'm trying to say. Not that I'm more into it than he is, right. but what are a few movies make that me you've watched longer? What What are a few movies you've watched a thousand times? Which the, Poseidon, the, more, the Poseidon Adventure. The Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> Dave White's favorite movie of all time. Maybe is that your favorite movie? It's it's my it's my childhood favorite movie of all right. time. You, you know feel, when you're a kid. How'd you feel about that remake? <laughs> the one where Fergie died. <laughs> I like that part <laughs> a lot. The one where oh, they right. the one where they cast three T-Rex. identical looking brunettes who, when you get them wet, you can't tell who who's who. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know when you're a little kid, kind of like the guys in the host, and it's your first <laughs> right? adult movie. You know the fir- very first grown up movie I was allowed to see was the Poseidon Adventure. Okay, and it. It PG it right mesmerized. Yeah. I was, you know, it was so huge and real and 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 cruel because it it killed major characters. Right, people you grew to love during the course of the movie they died right. by the time it was over, and they didn't get to come back. It wasn't a fake death. It wasn't a oh I'm all better now. You know oh I'm coming to or my they clone is still alive. Dead, yeah. dead, dead, and. So that that very first exposure to the adult film world, right. where you see uh, people swearing and angry and fighting and dying and violence, and 
you know, that was really, really exciting. Just sort of this intoxicating thing. And I couldn't watch that movie enough times. Okay. And it became this thing I memorized as a child. It would be on Every TV. Every line, yeah. I would watch it again and again and again. Did you and record it on audio tape? As an adult, no, no, no. <laughs> as a, but I know people who've done that kind of thing. <laughs> I did that with Jaws and Nightwing. Yeah. I nice. could run those movies from... Really? <laughs> I was going to say, you had a VCR at that point, though, right? Yes. <laughs> Not in his car. School. Not even a car. Uh, okay. I was in like 10th grade. I would bring oh, it, like cassette tape and just listen over and over and over. <laughs> so I can't say that Poseidon Adventure is like the greatest movie I've ever seen, but uh, the most watched, your, like, my childhood favorite film. I've seen right. it 40 times. What was your least. favorite movie of last year? What was last year? Last year was uh, Holy Motor. The Tour and Horse. Tour and Horse. The Tour and Horse yes. was my favorite movie last year. Never heard of it. Uh, Belatar. Difficult. Um, check. Hungarian. Hungarian filmmaker. Okay. Really not, difficult. Not, not uh, difficult. Just. More difficult than Holy Motors. I don't believe it exists. Not. not oh, well, yeah. Holy Motors is this whole other thing. <laughs> Holy Motors is singing in the rain next to the Tour and Horse. Trust me. <laughs> Holy Motors is a wild thing that changes every five minutes. The Turin horse is one relentless punishing thing. Bleakathon. That doesn't change right. at all. Right. And uh, it's about a, 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 an older man and his younger daughter who live in the middle of a windswept dirt storm okay. with a horse. And over the course of six days... The world breaks down, and finally the sun goes out. And it's not the end of the world, but they're in the dark. Okay. Ta-da! The, the end. <laughs> <laughs> and so are we in the movie theater, except it's, we have popcorn and a, a bottled water. <laughs> astonishing movie. If you're willing to sit through that kind of thing yeah. and let that kind of movie just sort of like... Have you seen Miracle Bulldoze Mile? You? Have you seen Miracle Mile by Steve DeJarnett? Yes. The 80s. With Anthony Edwards? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Denise Crosby. Yeah, we... Was that the, so? With the giantest phone ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's that a great movie, movie yeah. Yeah, I dig in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you know, probably 20 years since I've seen it or whatever, but I was really blown away with it at the time. It's funny. A friend of ours, uh, who's a big fan of that movie, um, Dave and I have been married like countless times because of changing you know, keep getting laws divorced. and whatever. No. You have a, um, you have so, a drawer full of certificates and exactly, diplomas. Yeah. So 2008, the one that finally counted before Prop 8 happened, we got married and we decided to do it uh, at our favorite place in Los Angeles, which is the La Brea Tar Pits. Okay. And yes. uh, it was very kind of... Miracle Mile. It was expensive to book the La Brea Tar Pits. So we just told people to meet us at a certain spot at 10 a.m. And, you know, our, 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 our then roommate read our vows out of his iPhone. And at 10.05, we all went to Bob's for dinner. Donuts. Right. Um, but anyway, a friend of ours who's a, a, a filmmaker uh, and, and sort of artist of all trades uh, filmed the whole thing and uh, wound up making a wedding video set to the score from Miracle Mile That's hilarious. because we did it at the La Brea Tar Pits. Yeah. That's kind of awesome, which and is maybe Tangerine Dream or something? Ah, uh, maybe. Well, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So then he showed us the film later because I'd never seen it. And? It's good. good. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like... 
movies, it goes there exactly uh, if you're going to do an apocalypse movie like there better be an apocalypse fucking and goes one, there yeah know? yeah and uh there's actually a cameo appearance not a, not a cameo there's like a, there's a small role played by a guy who at the point at that point was basically known for uh, gay porn really yeah who uh there's a character in the movie who's like helping them escape and he says wait i have to get you know, it's it, it, the movie fakes you out thinking that he's going to rescue his girlfriend or whatever, but his it's it's actually his boyfriend who's like this big hulking like blonde personal trainer or something. Hilarious. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, the big blonde guy was a uh, was gay oh, porn he was star. in gay porn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> How are we, Cohen? Are we over the hour? Then we're not we're not done yet. I just have to I have to mobilize for benefit. Miracle Mile. Uh, 80s movie about uh, basically Anthony Edwards uh, picks up a call and it turns out it went to the wrong number and it's from somebody at like uh, at the Johnny's which is right across from right. the, the new Academy yes. Museum LACMA yes. he gets a call that's from like On the, the strategic air command basically saying it's all gonna end soon you a know? kid in a missile silo is calling is trying to call his dad yeah having just launched the missiles no, makes a wrong call to a payphone outside a diner that Anthony Edwards answers. And so now, They've and the like kid tells them, yeah, the missiles are in the air. So what are you going to do? Does it actually happen? He's already, Alonso has already, has already said as much in the Yeah, I tried to traffic in spoilers, comments, but it is a yeah. movie that's old enough that, you know. There's a very cool documentary there, called uh, Los Angeles Plays Itself. That yes. is all about... The way Los Angeles is portrayed in films. Yeah. You, like you can this, watch it on YouTube. In its you entirety. can watch it in its entirety on YouTube. Uh, okay. And um, they show clips from Miracle Mile. Yeah. And they, they built like this great fake rotating spinning like burger thing that is on Above the Above Johnny's? Yeah. Yeah. Just for that movie. What's good? I'm... Um, Within within the within the eighteen years that I've lived here, certainly. I mean, I've eaten in there. The bigger question is: once the Academy Museum opens across the street, what becomes of Johnny's? And does it does somebody go in there and open it as a thing? Hmm. The Academy also owns the land behind Johnny's. Um, I don't know. They may own the they may own the land well, underneath they would Johnny's just turn as it well. Back into a diner, I would go there. Yeah. Yeah. But I think you need more happening on in that immediate area right. to keep a, a restaurant open. The Academy Museum is going to open like, like 2015 or two, something three like years. Yeah. They should turn it into Jackrabbit Slims and make it a Quentin Tarantino-themed diner. Yeah. <laughs> or Quentin Tarantino should just buy it and go in there and do same, right. put his own props and costumes in there. And so here's the Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, Planet Tarantino. <laughs> movie Museum. <laughs> you can go see that, you know, Academy shit over there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be interesting. He's an Academy member. He's a two-time Oscar winner. He better be an Academy member. <laughs> and I might be wrong on this, but I think, to my knowledge, the only filmmakers who've ever opened their own stores mm. are Kevin Smith and Spike Lee. And Spielberg, Jeffrey Katzenberg, when they opened Dive. Dive. Dive, dive Submarine. I ate a dive once. <laughs> I ate there many times because I used to work at the Houston's. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. You worked at the Houston's and you'd go eat at Dive? Well, sure. You couldn't eat your the, the food at Houston's after, you know, I guess you do too it. much, right? Yeah, that place is also <laughs> like a caloric shit show, you know? 
Dive was amusing. I mean, there was a time um, that I'll, I will look forward to the illustrated episode guide that Kathleen or Sasha do for this episode because as I scroll down near the <laughs> to, almost to the end of the episode guide, almost to the end of the episode, I'll see some pictures that they scrounge up online of that yellow submarine. Did the dive still look like dive when when we moved back here? They had not yet completely torn it down. So you, yeah, you saw there the was still the, the yeah. submarine was sticking out of the side. It, okay, yeah. so at Century City. Oh, okay. Where like the taco is now? No, that no. There's a restaurant called area. Gulfstream. Yeah, where Gulfstream right. is, which yes. is also owned by Houston's, which is now called. Um, They've completely changed. They're not even Houston's anymore. Oh, really? To get around listing their calorie counts on the menus. They <laughs> changed the name of the corporation and re- reincorporated someplace else. Yeah. Yeah. And their newest concept in L.A., actually, where I, I just ate with um, Pete and Madeline Hammond. Mm. You must know them, right? Uh, I've never met them. I, I know who Pete Hammond is. Yeah. Uh, South Beverly Grill, which is literally like a Houston's clone on... South Beverly. And, I was going to say South Beverly. <laughs> yeah, in downtown Beverly Hills. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, dive. It, every hour, like on the half hour, they would actually dive, submerge yeah. in the restaurant, and they would blow bubbles up diagonally through the water-filled portals. Yeah. <laughs> so good times, good times. Oh, the the food was never good enough. Restaurant. I know, right? Did any of them last? I mean, the fashion. Cafe yes, you know what lasted. What? If you look at if you look it up online, a bigger. Th- thing now internationally than domestically but even domestically there's still like two or three of them the planet hollywood concept really yeah oh that's true you're right yeah um there were a few there was a time in vegas where there were like fucking 30 on the strip rainforest cafes there no 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 theme restaurants <laughs> oh, in general okay, yeah. there was a nascar cafe there was like a country music cafe there was like you remember the um Fashion model, what was it called? Fashion cafe. Yeah. Fashion cafe. Yeah, all they yeah, served yeah. was like cigarettes and tap water. I think one of them. I think Rolling Stone closed. Rolling Stone closed already. I think. Yeah, I think it came and went really quickly. I always wanted to go. I heard it was terrible, but I always wanted to go to the Marvel restaurant at Universal City. Oh, was, I would love to. It was go open there. while I was not living here. I think. I miss Kenny Rogers roasters. And then the oh, cool, the cool, so good. The cool yeah. thing is, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with a lot of Japanese stuff, and they still do a lot of theme restaurants in Japan. But what they do that's even more uh, kind of exciting is they do pop up theme restaurants. Oh, yeah. For for American films sometimes. So there was a Sin City bar open for like six months in Tokyo. There's a Resident Evil cafe that's open right now called like Biohazard Cafe. And be <laughs> Who but doesn't want to eat a Biohazard exactly. Cafe? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was wish. very disappointed when when the first Harold when Harold and Kumar go to White Castle opened. They did sort of a pop up White yeah. Castle. Uh, at, 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 yeah, Sunset at, at Sunset yeah. and Sweetser, but they were serving microwave White Castle. Yeah, it was not the huh. same. I'm like, come on. And, 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 and which just drove home the point, why is there no White Castle in Los Angeles? There are enough transplanted so Easterners yeah. and Midwesterners here that it would totally fly. Super fast food nerdy. I think the reason they give is the same reason In-N-Out gives for not having anything west of Colorado, and it's where all their plants are. Um, so White Castle has all their distributing and like manufacturing and all that shit on the east. Yes, or it wouldn't uh, be fresh enough, or they couldn't get it out. They'd have to build, they'd have okay. to build like entire infrastructure on the west coast. It's, 
it, it, it needs to be locally sourced to taste as gross as it does. <laughs> yeah. Dave's not a fan. I see. I grew up in the South. We had Crystal, which was basically the same thing. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Crystal slider. meth. We ate um, it. Uh, that we ate Gladys Knight's chicken and waffles in Atlanta. Yes, not yeah. nearly as good, not as, as, good Roscoe's. as Roscoe's. Sorry, Gladys. Um, jumping back to the to the themed notion. To my mind, nothing better or more exciting. And I'm not even so so big a fan. I have huge respect for it, obviously, but I'm not a fan. Nothing so cool as when that Simpsons movie came out and they redid all the Seven Eleven. Oh, that was right. brilliant. That was fucking amazing. That, is, that was like a marketing. And why couldn't triumph. that just? Why can't? Especially in a city like like in a media rich city like Los Angeles or say New York, just one. Yeah, just one. They still have Homer Simpson donuts you still, in every yeah, you in can every still get those pink. Yeah, those were those yeah, are too much. They're nasty. I love donuts. They're disgusting. Um, iced and pink iced? Like no. I think my favorite theme restaurant of all time, and I believe it is finally out of business. At one point, there were four. I'm from New York. There were four locations in Manhattan, with like possibly five. Was Jekyll and Hyde? I don't know if you guys know about that. No. Is, it, is one of them still open? It is a horror themed restaurant. <laughs> They have the pubs now. They shut down the one in Times Square, though, which was the five-story club one. They left open the slaughtered, slaughtered Lamb. Higher. There was another one. There were two main clubs. The Slaughtered Lamb is, like, the oldest one. That was awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Big props to the Slaughtered Lamb. Yeah. Every half hour... They'd like bring a Frankenstein monster to life in the middle of the restaurant, and there were like wandering actor, like improv actors in character as like it was fucking awesome. Well, there's that Martian restaurant in New York, right? Mars 2012, and it's just uh, an arcade. And then, and I, and I've still never been to Eleven. That's how bad a gay I am. Like Eleven in West the original Hollywood. video bar. Is there a uh, well, no. Well, there's well, a, Eleven. Is this re- is a bar that's owned by Sid Croft? Oh no! I, yeah, I was. Confusing that with Revolver, which oh, was yeah, their, no, one of the original right, right, right. That's across video the street. bars. No, yeah, Eleven Gay Nightclub, and I'm sure they do serve food. God help you. Probably, I think they do a brunch. It's owned yeah. by Sid and Marty Croft. Are they a gay couple? They're, They're brothers. brothers. So yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> and apparently, every night at eleven, like there's some sort of like acrobatic thing that happens. Like HR Puffin stuff comes down <laughs> with Jimmy performs unnatural acts right. with the mayor of Lidsville. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, apparently, like some sort of Cirque du Soleil stuff happens at eleven, and they they, Ugh, they whatever. Right no, I, what if I, Kate Hudson can't be bothered? I can't wait to hear the rest of this. Open up her own like cafeteria style place based on a little bit of heaven. <laughs> what <laughs> the romantic comedy from last year where, where she, she has had anal cancer? Anal cancer. <laughs> what? I'm not making any. And of And the this title up, role is the title role is played by Peter Dinklage He's a, as a diminutive man whore. Yeah. I think that would be anyway. a, this is a real movie. It would be a really great thing if she would do that. Cohen is just like I would eat there a lot, and she would make I would be her her friend <laughs> if she would do that. I got a jet. Uh, what's the title, guys? <laughs> this is this is the anal cancer. Anal cancer. How about the one with the whales? Pumpkin pancakes. Since we're fat, the one with the whales. <laughs> the one with the whales. There we go. Um, you guys on Twitter or uh, Facebook or any other websites you want to? Uh, I'm the pimp only out. Alonzo Duraldi on Earth, so I'm really easy to find on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, I'm at a Duraldi, A D U R A L D E. Just go to movies.com, click on my face, 
Dave White. And uh, it'll take you to my profile, which has links to the other stuff. To the Dave White Empire. It's easier to just say go to movies.com than to everything. And go to everything. iTunes, Linoleum Knife. Correct. Linoleum Knife. Not night. Someone the other knife. day thought we were calling it linoleum knife. knife. That make any linoleum sense knife. At we will I cut off your lips with a linoleum knife. <laughs> I can't even pronounce knife. the name of my own podcast. <laughs> On Twitter, team underscore Jack, Jack underscore Morrissey with two R's and two S's, teamjack.com for the illustrated episode guide. Like us on Facebook, Tumblr, what have you. I'm still waiting for an illustration of my first appearance on this program. She'll get to it. Okay. But unfortunately, I wasn't taking pictures during that uh, period, as you remember. This enough. is a recent development now where sometime during the hour, while someone else is droning on and I've got the <laughs> microphone out of my hand, I'm actually gotcha. snapping at least four shots. I will stop, I will stop so. taking it personally then. Um, all right. That's it. We got another one, finally. Uh, out. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.